Hi everyone and welcome to the SciComm Toolkit Podcast, the show for scientists and science communicators to gain all the tools they need to bring their science stories to life. I'm Soph, aka Soph Talk Science, and I'm here to not only help you gain your SciComm confidence, but I'll be here as your SciComm cheerleader as you put everything into action. Now, I don't think there are many of us who do science communication who don't have an aim of trying to reach more people, whether it's gaining more YouTube subscribers, more views on your science news story, or getting more people to your event. I think a lot of us want to grow in one way or another. There are loads of ways that you can do this, but for today's episode, I wanted to talk about two things that you should start thinking about right now if you have any kind of digital science communication, whether that is a website, a blog, podcast, social media platform, YouTube channel, and so on. And they are having an irresistible headline and search engine optimization, aka SEO, or at least the very basics of SEO. In this episode, I talk to journalist turned blog and podcast coach Michelle Gately about how you can create those scroll stopping headlines. And I'm not just talking about news headlines now. There are so many other places you can use them for your science communication, which will all be revealed in the interview. When it comes to SEO, there again is a lot to learn. But here we talk about the very basics of what you can start thinking about now to gain better results in the future. The goal is to get your videos or blogs or so on cropping up when we all do our Google searches. SEO is going to help you do that. Your headlines are then going to get people from the search results page onto your site. That is that crucial first step. I want to talk a little bit more about today. Over the past year, I have joined Michelle's content bootcamp workshops and her headline workshop as well. And she had so, so, so much advice and so many practical tips to share. I also get so much value from every single blog post, every Instagram post, every podcast episode that she puts out. And I am thrilled that even though she doesn't have a science background, that she agreed to join me on my little podcast project. While on this podcast, I want to share my experiences and lessons of science communication. And I also want to learn from other science communicators, as we have done from the interviews. I also think there is so much we can learn from others who work outside of our SciComm bubbles. And then we just need to think about how we can apply that to what we do as science communicators. So that is just another reason why I'm so excited that Michelle has agreed to come on to the SciComm Toolkit. So I'll stop rambling and we'll get to it. I am delighted to welcome Michelle Gately to the podcast. No, I I didn't realise there was a place that was like however many hours and a half in front of us. I always thought it would just be like a whole hour. I know, literally everyone said that, but it's just because I've ended up in Adelaide and it's in the middle of the country. So they basically just put that Mm. in there to make sure that 
yeah, I guess the sun isn't setting at a really random time. Just something new I learned today when looking at the times to check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I wanted to start off by just thanking you again for all the help and support you've given me with the podcasting and everything over the last year, because I really don't think I would have been able to move it from an idea to this actual thing if it wasn't for um, your help and advice. So thank you oh. for that again. <laughs> Well, that is, it's a pleasure to hear. Like, I, that is really nice. Like, that's why I love doing this. So I'm really glad. Yeah, so maybe you can start by telling everyone what it is you do now. Yeah, so I'm actually going through like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a change. Um, but basically help small business owners or content creators like yourself um, who want to be quite intentional about their content work on their content marketing systems. So blogging, podcasting, and more of that writing stuff. So, you know, sometimes I will look at newsletters with clients and things like that as well. But my main focus um, is probably more on blogs and podcasts. Yeah, so I mentioned how you've helped me with podcasting. But in this episode, I wanted to ask you more about the writing side of things. And that's because you were a journalist before, right? Yeah, yeah. So before we moved to the UK two years ago, I was a journalist at a regional newspaper in Australia. Um, and so that involved a lot of different tasks, a lot of different hats to be worn, not unlike being a business owner. Um, so yeah, I've got a lot of different different writing skills. To kick off, I thought we'd start with what might be a bit more of a meatier topic and go into <laughs> SEO or search engine optimization for anyone that doesn't know. Um, so I have a very, very basic understanding of it, or at least I think I do, but maybe you can elaborate a little more. So what is it and who should be thinking about it? Yeah. So I tend to think that I have a bit of a, a basic understanding too, only because, you know, my background is in journalism rather than marketing. So I come at it from that content creation point of view and a lot of the stuff around SEO I've sort of taught myself. So there are definitely more expert people out there, but, <laughs> you know, at a very basic level, it is writing in a way that makes it easier for Google to find and present information that people are looking for. So when we type a question into Google, like what's the best way to cook pasta, you know, it goes through all those millions of web pages and hopefully finds you the best answer and the thing that actually answers the question. Um, so search engine optimization and writing in a way that incorporates those techniques just means like, I guess, basically just presenting things in a way that makes it easier for Google. Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so maybe because I have that vague understanding, but it's just kind of a way, yeah. it's almost like a way of getting yourself ranked through Google, isn't it? If you were creating a blog post, for example. Yeah, definitely. And like, it definitely takes time to say, get that ranking, but it is about ultimately getting ranked by Google so that more people come to your website for free. 
um, because, you know, when we use Google and maybe next time you do a search, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, just take, you know, take a bit of a look at how things are presented because you'll get those like paid ad results and then you'll get the organic results. So ideally we'd, we'd all like to be at the top of those organic results for our ideal clients when they're searching things um, so that we're getting more website traffic. And it's the idea that you are doing this for free. It's not a paid thing that I think is what makes it such um, a key like marketing strategy for people. Um, and in regards to, you know, like who should be thinking about it and, and sort of why we should be thinking about it. I think if you are creating content and you you really do want to grow an audience, then it's something that you should be thinking about really. Um, and if you're a brand and you're wanting to grow your business, then it is one of the best ways to like market your business for free and, and grow your audience that way. And you also mentioned that it can take a little bit of a of time to to get ranked so how how long does that that take roughly oh gosh like I would say absolute months and you know again this is just from my own experience but for example like you know blog posts that I wrote nine months to a year ago are only just sort of ranking so that sort of gives you an idea of you know you can't just look at it a week later or a month later and think, oh, well, you know, I'm not on page one of Google, so that's it. It <laughs> failed. You know, it is such a long-term thing, but you will slowly start to see an increase in traffic from particular blog posts. And I guess the key is to just keep keep going, really. Um, obviously, as well, Google does um, sort of take into account how long your website's been around. So mm-hmm. for some of for some websites, um, if they've been around for years and years and years and have built up that um, authority with Google, they probably rank a little bit easier. But again, that is sort of straying into the territory that I'm not as familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's there's a lot of different factors at play for like how long things take. But I would say like when you've started blogging, at least try and do it consistently for like three months you know, and start like tracking your results and trying to see what's working um, because it will take time. What are like the basics? Like where can someone start if they want to try and start implementing this? Oh, okay. Um, So like a good place to start is to just actually look at what's on your website at the moment and to have a look um, at things like your site speed. There are a couple of sort of free analysis programs you can use that point out places that you can improve your site speed on your website again that strays into more of the technical stuff that I'm Mm -hmm. not as familiar with um but you know I'm sure you can link to a few a few things um as well that will that will help with that because um Loading speed can can be something that slows down your site, especially with um, a lot of us being on mobile these days. So Mm -hmm. that could be a good place to start. But then in terms of like, you know, actually looking at your content, have a look at what you've got already. So have you got a blog? Um, And if you have, you know, what kind of content are you writing about? How are you writing that content? Are you writing it with your audience in mind? analyzing that and looking at that is is a good place to start so that you can know where you can improve what I would say is if you're sort of starting from scratch is sort of think about the topics that someone might be writing into google that would give them your website result 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, you can then create some content that starts to try and answer those questions. So let's take SEO as the example because it's on, on my mind now. <laughs> if you were to write, um, you know, a blog post saying how to get started with SEO, um, you know, you're trying to answer a question for your audience. And I guess it's, it is sort of hard to know where to start um, just yeah. in, in general without knowing where people are. But I would say sort of starting to think about, okay, what, what are people searching that I can help them with and what could bring them to my site? Um, so, for example, if you're selling like a product or something, you could, you could create content around that. And again, it's that like, okay, what are people selling? So with science communication, what are people going to be searching in my niche that I can help them with? Mm-hmm. And that's like a really good place to start generating content ideas. Um, and then in terms of actually writing in a way that's SEO friendly, um, obviously keywords do play a role. Um, that's, a, a, again, like a whole other thing. But we're <laughs> wanting to write in a way that sort of presents information in a really logical, easy to understand way. We want to break up the text with plenty of headings because, you know, again, think about how you look at things on the internet. I know I certainly, if I'm Googling something, I want the answer. So if people are coming to your website from Google, they want to be able to scan the page and find the information they need. So lay it out Mm -hmm. in a way that is user-friendly and also consider things like readability. So readability is how easy it is to understand a text. Um, And one of the easiest ways to sort of start looking at that online is to have shorter paragraphs so for me that would be like a couple of sentences maybe maybe one sentence maybe two or three Um, and it just makes that piece again like more scannable online it brings in some more white space and it makes it less daunting Mm -hmm. for people Um, so those are a few places you can start with trying to start to look at implementing SEO at a like a blog level Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always feel with SEO, it's just like opening up a can of worms. Like there's no kind of really, I guess there are some easy things to be doing, but there's always more and more and more and more. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I do find that it is a lot of um, small things that you can do and small steps that you can start to take. But I think when you're starting, it feels like this big, overwhelming thing. And Mm -hmm. once you're into the habit of it, it feels a little bit less daunting and it feels a little bit like, oh yeah, I, I just do this now. This is, and it happens to help my SEO, but it's just part of my routine. Um, whereas I think when you're starting and you're looking at those things like, okay, what is site speed? And, you know, is my site fast enough? Are my images too big? All that sort of stuff that can feel quite daunting and quite overwhelming. Um, and I do understand, like I put that off for so long because it yeah. is quite, quite an overwhelming topic to begin with. So I feel like keywords, which the name might suggest, is quite quite key. Um, so they're kind of the one or two word kind of phrase that summarizes the main topic of your blog post, right? Yeah, and it's the sort of thing that is what people are typing into Google, basically. Um, so weaving that through your copy indicates to Google that, you know, that is what this blog post is about. Um, now, like I said, there are people who do lots of keyword analysis and, and, you know, there's lots of paid tools and free tools and a lot of different things you can use 
to find keywords, but I tend to take a little bit more of a relaxed approach in that, you know, I might look up one or two keywords, have them in mind, and then just try and write, you know, my blog post, um, maybe as I naturally would. And I find that often, often that works because otherwise, yeah, I think you can go down a rabbit hole of spending hours and hours and hours and, you know, just over over analyzing keywords and things like that and, and trying to to fit something in whereas actually you know if you've got the content there and it's quite clear in the content what you are talking about then it doesn't matter as much anymore that you have precisely this keyword or that keyword and yeah when we do say keywords as well it can be a, a, a word or a, or a phrase um and there's mm-hmm. like you, people might see long tail keywords that's more your like questions maybe or the longer phrases which I think we're tending to ask more on Google now especially with like voice searches because we Mm. all tend to like we tend to say it as if we were speaking to a person so we don't just say like hey Alexa weather Rockhampton you say like what is the weather like in Rockhampton today for example Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that those long tail keywords are sort of becoming something that we use a little bit more as searches, but they definitely are less competitive than typing in just like a one word phrase. Like if you were to just type in blogging, for example. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely think when I started learning about SEO, I got caught up in like, oh my God, I have to get like the right keyword. And I think it's, it's less important than it seems at least to me you know that there, mm-hmm. there could be other people who would say that I was absolutely wrong but for me it's more important <laughs> to try and get you know the content sounding right for your brand and and presenting the right information in the way that you want it but that's because I'm coming from that content background not the marketing background I feel that like any researchers or science communicators listening to this would probably be more from the content side of things and wanting to grow that way rather mm. than the marketing side but again I might be wrong too (laughs) and I think Um, with that the key is just to like if if you were talking about a topic or something um thinking about the way that people might phrase things if they were searching it so that again sort of comes back to thinking about what your audience want from you so if you're appealing to say like other scientists you're probably going to use different phrases and terminology Um, and if you're writing something for a more general audience maybe you need to sort of use some different words and and keywords there to give you different results Um, I think that's probably one of the main things that your audience are are going to be grappling with there and do you think it's just important to have like one keyword or key phrase for a blog post or can you use um a few throughout well yeah I'll be honest I don't know what the like precise answer is to this but what I tend Mm -hmm. to do is find maybe like three or four um phrases and I write them down at the top of my blog post draft so then as I'm writing I tend to find that once I've done that, I'm naturally including them in the copy. And I think that works a bit better as well because it doesn't sound so forced. And I know that's what a lot of people are worried about when they think Mm -hmm. SEO writing, they think, oh my God, I've got to make it sound like really robotic and, you know, it it doesn't sound like me and I don't want it to sound like that. So 
I find just having those phrases in my mind, I naturally bring them into what I'm writing anyway. And then when I go back and read it over, I just see if there's any other places that I could maybe include a a keyword. So yeah, I, I think that you could have like three or four that you're sort of aiming to work into the copy, but then you just pick one main one that you will also include in like the headline and your alt text which is for your images and in your like meta description and all that sort of stuff so you do need to narrow it down to one but you can have a few others that you sort of have in your mind as you're writing. So if there was someone listening to this who already had a blog and has been doing it for a little while would you recommend going back and updating them to be a little bit more SEO friendly maybe? Yeah, actually, this is a really interesting part of, you know, ongoing SEO maintenance of your site is going back and sort of refreshing those old blog posts. And that is looked upon quite favorably um, from Google as well, because, you know, they, they want to present the best information to their audience. And I think especially with science communication as well, it is more likely to be changing and in a bit of flux than Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, (laughs) lifestyle blogs and things like that. (laughs) So, you know, if you are dealing with a topic and you have like new information, that's a great time to like go back and update an old blog post, even if it is to add a line saying, you know, since we published this, you know, this survey came out or you know, this new finding came out and you can read more about that here and and you put a new post up as well, for example. Or it could just be things as simple as, you know, I have a blog, uh, a blog post about podcasting and why you should start a podcast. And it's got a bunch of statistics in it. And every year a new Infinite Dial report comes out. And that's where I got a lot of those statistics. So I just go back at the start of the year when that new report comes out and just update it and just sort of put something at the top saying, you know, updated for 2021 or whatever. That can be a good way if you're dealing with facts and figures that will change annually as well, just Mm -hmm. to update things. And, you know, maybe when you do that, you give it a fresh headline, for example. Um, It it just kind of helps to make sure that your site is as accurate as possible and there's absolutely no harm in doing that. And I think that that's sort of heartening really because sometimes we can we can put pressure on ourselves to have the perfect thing right at the start, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So knowing that it's actually a good thing to go back and change things later is, a bit, is, is reassuring really. Yeah, I'm hoping that would encourage people listening to this to just put out that blog post that they've been holding back on for a while thinking, oh my God, it needs to be perfect like right now. Like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, just do it and you can always come back to it later. Like I'm sure if you're that worried about it, you've probably spent a lot of time doing it already. And if it's been sitting there for a while and you're, you know, just worried about one or two little things, you just don't know whether it's as SEO friendly as it could be, just just put it up and you can come back and tweak it later when you learn more things. Absolutely. (laughs) If these things take a little bit of time to kind of kick in, and you mentioned that you kind of track the changes. What what things should we be tracking or looking out for to see if things are working? Yeah, so this can be a bit tricky. And I'm, you know, I'm by no means, um, as I've said, I'm by no means a marketing expert, <laughs> but I'm also not that great with numbers. Um, so, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this, and I don't know if you have used Google Analytics, Sophie, but 
it is not very user friendly and no (laughs) yeah it is a bit of a minefield right so if you're using google analytics the main things that i look at are um the number of people who are coming to the website and then of that you should be able to see i think it's under acquisitions the number of people who are coming just from organic search so they Mm. are the people who are finding you through google And that's what we want to keep track of. Um, Even if you're doing it on like a monthly basis, I'm sure you will start to see that number rise once you start to implement these things. And like I said, for me, that took like six months just, and it was a very slow, you know, be, be going up in increments of a couple of dozen or whatever, but I could see slowly that it was getting better. And I think that was, tracking the stats was more of a comfort to me to just be like, oh, okay, it is working. It's, it's slow and it's not millions of people, but I can see that I'm doing something right. And I could see that it was growing in the right places. So it was growing in the organic search. And then the other thing that I would look on, look at is time on page. Um, Mm -hmm. and that can be, it can be quite tricky. So, you know, mine doesn't look that great at the moment, which is telling me that people aren't actually staying and reading my stuff. But if you've got people who are engaged and reading your stuff and that time on page will be it'll be a couple of minutes and that's great so if you've got a really good time on page that tells you that even if you don't have that many people coming they are staying for a long time which can be really Mm -hmm. reassuring sometimes as well in your um, website host so I'm with Squarespace and I know in the analytics there I can look at some of the search terms and the most the most popular content that's another one that I would um, I would look at as well so what blog posts are working what are people clicking on because that's always a good one to you know go and refresh and make sure you've got any if you know if you've got an email sign up or you've got a course coming out or something and you and that is getting traffic then that's a good place to make sure that you've you've got that updated and it can just be useful to see like okay if that was you know how could I take that information and sort of do it in a new way, for example? Is there something else on that topic that people are interested in that I could do a blog post on? Yeah, I think my website is hosted on WordPress and I can also get some of those like search terms that people have searched for to get onto my site as well, in case anyone is using WordPress as well. Yeah, I find that really helpful. And then the actually the other thing that I would, so Google Analytics is free. And the other thing that Google offers for free is Google Search Console. Um, And this has some, I'm pretty sure you can do some site speed stuff and some SEO stuff with Google Search Console as well. So I would recommend signing up for Google Search Console and claiming your website address. And what they will do then is sort of send you an email every month saying that, you know, how many times you were appearing in searches how often you were ranking Mm. on page one, um, how many people clicked through. It's especially good for, I mean, this is a side note, but, you know, if anyone has, you know, you have like a physical location for something, it can be really helpful because Google Search Console will show you like how many people found you on maps or how many people called you um, using like the call now button and stuff. So Google Search Console is amazing and it's sort of like, the place to start if you look at Google Analytics and just think that is way too overwhelming. Plus, it is a nice email to get every month to be like, you've, you know, you've had this many, this many hits. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> that, that sounds good. I haven't used that one too much. But yeah, Google Analytics there is a lot there. Yeah. And most of it is just, yeah, you need to really pick and choose what 
what is really meaningful to you. So I wanted to also talk to you today about headlines um, Mm -hmm. because I think you've done a lot of or generated a lot of content about them recently. So why are they so important? So headlines are one of the most important things on your page because like quite simply if your headline is bad people are not going to bother reading the rest of your work you know we are bombarded with so many things on a daily basis on the internet and we're making these decisions all the time about where we spend our time and if your headline is not appealing people aren't going to click through they just are not going to bother because we've all got so much else going on basically so That's why they're one of the most important things. Um, From an SEO perspective, it's another place to put your keyword as well. And it's the the headline is what comes up on Google, basically. So you really want to sell it when people are scrolling through those Google results. Again, think about when you're scrolling through the judgments that you make based on just that sentence. Um, And you'll see how important it is, really. And we often think um, of headlines that just sit at the top of news articles and things. So from a mm. communications and content perspective, where else can we find them? Yeah, so headlines are, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's the news articles, but it's also your email subject lines, your blog posts, your podcast um, episode titles, your YouTube videos. They're all forms of headlines and they're all really important because without them, again, like people aren't going to click on that result, click on that podcast episode, click on that YouTube video. So yeah, those are all examples. And the same goes for kind of like subheadings in a blog post as well, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Also a really important thing. So what goes into a scroll stopping headline? A really scroll stopping headline, you want to um, be quite specific about the value that is offered. Now, this can it can be kind of funny thinking about value and stuff like that, but essentially it is, again, going back to what do people want to know and making sure that it's really obvious what they can expect from the article in the headline. So we don't just want, like, my morning routine. We want, like, five things you can do in five minutes that will make your morning better. Essentially, it sort of comes back to the question of what's in it for me. So when you're scrolling and you're making those microsecond judgments of, yeah, I'm not going to be bothered reading that, you want people to look at it and think, oh, that's actually, that could be something that could help me or that's something that I want to know about. Um, So in terms of science communication, it's, again, knowing your audience and presenting the headline in a way that appeals to them and makes them want to know more. So knowing what matters to them and what they care about as to why they might click through. Is it a good idea then to, when you're clicking on things or stopping to read things, to sort of question why you're doing that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a good place to start if you've never really thought about this concept before. Mm. Um, Yeah, take note of what makes you stop um, and have a look at the structure that they've used in the headline. There's a lot of different formulas you'll start to see if you take notice, you know, question headlines and like you'll see these phrases used over and over again, like this is how you do this and this is why you should do this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know there's probably maybe part of you that's like, I want to be more creative than that. But the thing is, the reason that these formulas get used so often is 
because they work, because they grab our attention and they tell us what we need to know. So um, as much as we all want to be like individuals and stuff, yeah, sometimes it can, be quite, yeah, it can be quite good to, to stick to those formulas. And I mean, that was totally me before. I was like, oh my God, no, I want to have like really cool blog titles and stuff. But then like 10 people saw my stuff. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it really. Though You can save your creativity for another place. Absolutely. What are, say, the three biggest mistakes that people tend to make when it comes to writing their headlines? I think definitely being really vague or trying to be quite clever or, like, put a pun in and things like that because that just does not translate on the internet at all. Um, I would say the other one is that you aren't using any of those headline formulas. They do make your life so much easier. And the final mistake is, as a bit of a classic with a lot of things, is just going with the first thing that comes to mind and not actually going back and brainstorming and trying to be strategic about picking a headline that works for your audience. There's a tool that called the co-schedule headline analyzer that I recommend Um, and I tend to you know draft 10 to 15 different headlines and then run them through that analyzer and sort of see what's best it will get quicker the more you do it you'll you'll get quicker at brainstorming but I think that tendency to just be like yeah this is the last thing that I'm gonna this is the final touch I've got to pop on the blog post I'm just going to put this on don't care what it is um, and then I'll just publish it that is just not enough thought and attention <laughs> so if you want to get really strategic you need to spend a bit of time brainstorming and trying to pick something that works. Oh, so when it comes to picking your title do you just use do you just base it on the score that these tools might spit out at you or is there any other kind of thoughts that go on to say yes this is the one I should choose so I tend to make my final decision based on the score usually and if I like it so the headline analyzer works on like a traffic light system so if it's if it's green and you're getting like those 70s and 80s you're like yeah this is this is this is good to go um the other thing that you know I tend to think about as well is what are people going to click on on Google versus on like the homepage of my website Um, and this is where having a play around with different types of headlines is really good because when we're looking at things on Google we need to sort of put the the keywords right up the front we need to front load the keywords and sort of grab attention straight away and possibly have a shorter headline we can get away with a little bit of a longer headline on our website Um, and most, whether you're using WordPress or Squarespace or Wix, you should be able to do a separate like SEO headline. Um, and that will allow you to put two separate headlines on the text. So sometimes I'll do something that's a little bit more creative, um, for my homepage. Um, maybe it's a little bit longer. Maybe the keyword is at the end rather than the start. And then for SEO purposes, I'll do something where it's got a keyword like right at the front for the SEO title. Yeah, so this is the difference between the title when you've clicked on the actual blog post compared to what it looks like on the Google search results, right? Yeah, yeah. So that little blue result that comes up, that's your like SEO headline. And then once you click through, um, the headline that shows on the page could be different. And I mean, 
again, next time you're using Google, have a look at news websites in particular will do this. Um, have a look and see whether, whether it changes when you click through because for a lot of news websites like HuffPost, for example, um, they will utilise an SEO headline and we used to write separate SEO headlines um, and separate news headlines when I was at the paper as well. So it, it is um, sort of a helpful tool in that way. Is there a benefit for bloggers to do that or is it more of a institution news kind of level? It can be more of an institution and a news kind of thing. But I think for me, sometimes if I have two quite high scoring headlines, I'll think, okay, I'll put the more like SEO one just for the SEO headline. And I might do something that's like a little bit less, you know, keyword heavy for the homepage, for example, um, because that's maybe where people are, they already know me, they're already on the website or they've mm-hmm. come through from another channel, whether that's like Pinterest or Instagram or something. Um, whereas with the SEO headline, the people who are seeing that are going to want a specific answer to whatever they searched for. So emphasising that is, is really handy. For any post where you think, yeah, I really want to rank number one for this, it can be really helpful and it's not something you have to worry about quite so much for, you know, just your general post that that you're not specifically going out to optimise. So, for example, if you were writing, say, like a big explainer post on, I can't even think of any science-y things now. (laughs) (laughs) If you were writing an explainer on something and you know that you wanted to make that really SEO friendly and really try and bring in traffic through that, then that would be a good place to do two separate headlines. But if you're just writing something quite quick and basic and it's not for that purpose it's more that brand building stuff and you probably Mm -hmm. don't need to worry about it too much how can we start writing better headlines now whether that's for like a blog post news article or instagram captions for example yeah so i think the first thing would be to have a look at some headline formulas and sort of look at what the strategy is around those and the sorts of words and phrases that are used and then The next thing would be to challenge yourself to come up with like 20 to 30 different options when you're starting out um, and play around with the headline analyzer. So once you've got all those options of different formulas, you know, try some questions, try some things with numbers, try different ways of presenting that information, run them through the headline analyzer and see what it says. Because, you know, if you've never thought about it before, and you've never thought about it strategically, it's kind of, again, it's that good like baseline to find out where you actually are at. I just use a free version of the headline analyzer and I find that that actually gives quite a lot of good tips and suggestions for like, okay, is it too long? Is it too wordy? Is it too negative? Does it have like enough unique words in it and things like that? Because it will also highlight, you know, power words and emotional words and things like that. So It can be really good just to take something, brainstorm and then run the analyzer over it and see what your like sort of baseline is. I've always wondered about those power and like emotional words and stuff. How how do you know what is a power word and an emotional (laughs) word to try and incorporate more of those? Yeah, so I mean, this is what's good about the again, to, to bang on about the headline analyzer. And I only use the free version. <laughs> and there's also, I think there's like an emotional headline analyzer. 
But I think it's just looking for those sorts of unusual words or quite strong emotive words. Maybe the things that might annoy you as a news consumer potentially where you think, (laughs) oh, is this really amazing? Is this really hilarious? Those are actually, you know, quite good to get SEO and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously you don't have to put anything in there that you really genuinely don't think is is relevant. Um, But I think, again, the more you do it, the more you kind of get into the terminology that gets used frequently and stuff. And so you get quicker at brainstorming those ideas. So in short, I don't entirely know, but it is a, it is a, a practice. Again, it's like the gym. It's like start getting used to it and getting more confident with it as well. Would you use this um, headline analyzer tool to write your newspaper news article headlines um, as well as blog post style ones as well with news news it doesn't necessarily (laughs) work Um, but with more of those like lifestyle pieces and stuff it can but I worked for I guess what would be considered a very niche newspaper in that it was niche in terms of its location so a lot of what we were doing wasn't really going to have a broader impact beyond our little region so yeah again that's knowing your audience really Mm -hmm. um and knowing that what we were publishing on our website wasn't something like we needed to look at seo but not necessarily in the same way that i do now for a global audience when i've been writing about a scientist's latest research and their latest paper that's come out um one of their concerns is that we don't want to sensationalize or even oversimplify what it's all about in a headline Mm. whereas I know then posts like the like how to's or listicles and so on they tend to work well for blog style pieces but maybe they're not for the news and science news so how would you approach writing a headline then that doesn't sensationalize like hardcore news so to speak yeah that is really tricky and I think it definitely is then more about using your own personal judgment of what you believe crosses that line or doesn't cross that line. And I do think that's something that you will you will develop. And I'm sure like the same way that journalists have that sense, or I did anyway, that, you know, also researchers and stuff, you, you will develop that sense of what are the appropriate words to use and stuff. Um, I guess in that sense, it's thinking, okay, well, what what maybe like if the audience is a general audience, what are the terms that they're going to use? And maybe it's, you know, pulling out a key phrase and saying like research says or research finds or something. Again, that's straying more into news territory for sure. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's just using your judgment um, the best way possible. And then, yes, running it through the headline analyzer as well, but I guess this is where actually knowing what goes into a headline is so important because, of course, like a headline analyzer is helpful, but it's not the be all and end all. You still need to know. So I guess, again, it's being the most specific. Um, for me, when I, if I think about as a journalist, it would be choosing an angle and pulling out potentially what is the most interesting piece of that research that would make mm-hmm. people click making that the sort of lead and then going into the rest of the information. So again, just sort of thinking, okay, like what would make people click but is also an accurate representation of what they're going to get 
in this article? What are they going to learn from this article? Because you don't want them to be disappointed by clicking through. And at the same time, you don't want them to be put off clicking through because it sounds more boring than it actually is. Yeah, I've always found it's quite a tricky balance because Mm. like there's one thing as say a communicator that I want the audience to get from it or what I think they should take away from someone's research. But then the researcher obviously has different ideas themselves. So it's kind of having that that balancing act. That is really tricky. And I think that's a really it's a really unique situation to be in. And I I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer for that either. Um, but I think just probably using your best judgment as as unhelpful an answer as that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it would be useful to get, say, like um, a journalist perspective that's outside of the world of science on that as well. So it's good to yeah, know well, it's not just me. <laughs> in, my, in my day job, it was always like, okay, what is the element what is the the thing that you know what what would I say to someone over coffee like oh my god you're not going to believe this um mm. that's sort of what I would sort of look for for my lead and then for the the headline as well of like what is going to make people if they see that on a home page what's going to make them want to know more information so I also remember you talking about this recently and I thought it would be good to ask you again as part of this to share with everyone who might be listening and that's about um the curiosity gap so what is the curiosity gap and how can it help us with blogs podcasts headlines and so on yeah so it's basically the difference between what we know and what we want to know and you've got to strike a fine line between telling people enough information that they do in fact want to know more and this is I think the thing we tend to struggle with with headlines is we might think we're being all like vague and coy and that people want to know more because we're being so mysterious but actually people Mm -hmm. will just keep scrolling so it's about telling them enough information in the headline that they do have that reaction of well I need to know more now with a tv show for example you are opening and closing those loops all the time so you're always like people are always having a reason to watch and so for us as communicators it's about without being clickbaity asking a question or presenting something that you then go on to answer in the content and you can also do it like within your actual content in a way of like in this blog post I'm going to tell you this this and this and that's a very educational sort of thing Um, or you can sort of allude to the fact in your introduction to your article for example and then give some background and then go back to the the key other key pieces of information for example Um, it definitely is a bit harder to pull off in like news and things like that but it can still it can still be done and it's just about not giving away everything again when I was at the newspaper we would look at the uh the headline and the story as a bit of an equation so we've got like the who what where where what where when why classic question Mm -hmm. um so if you look at it as a bit of an equation what are people going to find out when they click? So if we're looking at, say, an emergency situation that's happened, if it's like a car crash or something, are we leaving out the location so they have to click through to find out the location? But, you know, our our thing was, okay, how are we going to get people to read our newspaper rather than just looking on Facebook? It's about telling them that you have some information that you're going to give them 
um, and then revealing that information once they've clicked through. Um, actually, a good example of where there was no curiosity gap and people wouldn't want to click through, um, it, it was about Eurovision. My partner showed it to me um, because it was to do with like the drug test thing. Um, oh, and yeah. it literally said in the headline, his drug test comes back negative. And Jack was like, well, why am I going to, I don't even need to read that now. Like, I know the answer. That's a mm-hmm. situation where it said like the results are in for this drug test and you have to click through to find out what it is and you know you see it on the news too where they say like coming up after the break we're going to do this and this and this gives you just enough information to know whether that's something that you want to keep watching or not and hopefully for them it is yeah kind of like a movie trailer just knowing what might happen but you don't actually know the actual events yeah until you go and watch it (laughs) exactly so my final question to you then is a bit of a random one it's a one I kind of ask everyone at the end of every kind of interview I do so (laughs) apologies for the randomness but um, my question is where should I be traveling to on my next adventure when we can do safely of course so where would you recommend going to and visiting and why well obviously I'm going to say Australia (laughs) (laughs) obviously (laughs) I I think you have to come to Australia you know, just to see all our cool animals that we have, all our native animals. And in particular, I would say that you have to see the quokkas in Western Australia because they are my favourite animal. I've personally never seen them yet. That is like a bucket list trip in the future. Um, but they are the cutest animals. Um, you will have to include a picture in the show notes just to show people. They always look like they have the they have the cutest little smiles and the island that you go to to see them I think it's Rottnest Island um they're like so used to having tourists around and stuff they just come up and do little selfies with all the tourists and stuff they're so cute but you know like wombats and koalas and kangaroos and stuff like we do have yes we have a lot of animals that could kill you but we have some really cute (laughs) ones as well (laughs) it is on my bucket list because we want to go to New Zealand as well so we're hoping to maybe like do I mean you've a... got to do both then you may as well exactly. you're already coming this far yeah if we're going to go to New Zealand we can't not stop at Australia so I'm going to try and convince him that way <laughs> That's <laughs> good luck plan. with that good luck <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for giving up your time to chat to me today as always it's been a pleasure to chat oh, to you thank you yeah um, and thank you Thank you for sharing more tips and tricks with us um, maybe you can remind everyone where they can follow you or find you online as well Um, So you can find me on Instagram at Unfinished Bookshelf and you can head to my website, which is theunfinishedbookshelf.com. And I have a podcast as well with more like content marketing tips, which is called Content Etc Podcast. And that is back very soon. Or I mean, it might even be back by the time you air this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very excited. I do love all the tips and tricks you share in your in your podcast too. To be oh. honest, I have your website bookmarked because I go to it so often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that makes me so happy because like sometimes I will say when you're blogging, sometimes it does feel like you're just putting things out into the world yeah. and like you're like, oh, no one cares or reads it. But that seriously makes my day. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm literally there all the time. I think now, even <laughs> yeah. if I go into like the Google search bar and just put in the, it comes like yours comes up with the first one. And then how, how can people work with you? Yeah, so at the moment, I am taking on new clients for one-to-one mentoring for either three or six months for like content marketing. And that's everything from you know blogging if you want to start a podcast um newsletters instagram captions all that sort of 
content ecosystem um, and you can also do um, one-off creative consultations with me as well where we can go over one to three like specific issues you're facing there's a few different options there um, to work with me at the moment and now this is always the part of the interview where I feel really awkward because I don't know how to wrap things up so maybe you can give us some advice from your interviewing experience about how how you do that how you wrap up your interviews at the end <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I just sort of let it, <laughs> let it trail off. But thank you. This was absolutely lovely. And we have arrived at the DIY section of the podcast. This is almost like the workshop section of the podcast where I give you actual resources that you can download and access right now so you can take the next steps to improve your science communication. Again, today, I don't just have one resource for you, but two. So when it comes to SEO, you can spend a lot of money really taking a deep dive into it. But my fabulous guest, Michelle, has recently created an SEO friendly blog post checklist that is completely free. I will add the link in the show description and the show notes. You can go and grab that now and add it into your SciComm toolkit. And please don't forget to go and make those changes to your blog posts now. You'll thank yourself in a few months to come. The other thing I wanted to share with you is Michelle's Irresistible Headline Workshop. It is an online training course that you can do in your own time around your other commitments. It's only 45 minutes long. And this is the workshop I did earlier this year. And I cannot tell you how useful it was. My headline writing has been completely revolutionized since and I think about it in a completely different way I will again add the links in the show description and the show notes it is 49 pounds but it will help you take your science communication to the next level and remember that headlines are not just for news articles they can help you with your youtube channel podcast episode titles instagram captions and so much more so hit the link and take a look at what you will get out of it and that is all I wanted to share with you in today's episode. I really hope you found it useful and I want you to take advantage of these amazing resources that Michelle has created. I hope you also come back next week for the final episode in season one. I know I cannot believe that I've made nine episodes already and we're almost wrapping this season up. It's it's crazy. But I do have another amazing guest next week and I know you will love it. Then I'll be taking a short break over the summer, prepping season two, ready to return to your ears in a few months time. You can get all the links to anything Michelle and I chatted about in this episode on my website and all the resources and show notes and transcripts too. You can find them at sofetalkscience.com forward slash toolkit. You can also get all the resources for all the other episodes of the podcast there too. If you like this episode, then please share and tag me on social media. I'm at soph.talks.science or you could tag the pod too at SciComm Toolkit. If you could spare a few minutes to leave a review, then you will truly make my day. But it also helps others to find the podcast and learn more as well. Have a fantastic rest of your day, whatever you are doing. If it is sunny out, please remember to wear sunscreen 
or you will end up looking like Rudolph like I do right now with a big shiny red nose. Talk soon. Bye.